Today's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And here is this reading from Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, David. Did you notice last year that uh, I added this into our service? For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Now, the traditional way of saying that is, this is the word of the Lord. And maybe some of you uh, grew up with that. And, um, and as I went to seminary, as seminary tends to do, I was like, you know, that's not actually the way I want to say it. I, I think there's a different way to say it. And, and it made me um, consider, what is the capital W word versus the small w word? What does it mean when we say, this is the word of the Lord? And last week, um, we were talking about this word biblical that people throw around so easily, right? That, that something is biblical or not, and there's really no way to argue with that statement. When someone says something is biblical, you feel like, well, must be right then, or that must be what's in the Bible. So I either like the Bible and agree with the Bible, or I don't, if I don't like that statement. And similarly, when we say, we read something in the Bible and we say, this is the word of the Lord, there's that sense of like, well, I'm not sure I like that. So if this is the word of the Lord, do I like the Lord or not? And <laughs> Do I like what the Lord says? 
And um, how and how am I going to hold this? When the scripture says that word word, it doesn't often mean itself. It's not talking about some sort of written document that we now get used to holding in our hands. And instead, there's this much deeper, richer sense of what the word, word, means. In John 1, there is this sense of, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we know that in this very metaphorical sense, the writer of John is talking about Jesus as the word, not scripture as the word. In the Old Testament, there's a sense of this word ruach in Hebrew, the breath of God. In, uh, in Greek, Sophia, the wisdom of God. These are all words that we think of in scripture when we think about what the word word means. And very rarely is it a words on a page. Certainly there were no books as we think of books when scripture was written. When uh, you become an elder in this church, when Karen and I took our ordination vows to become pastors, we're asked this question, do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you. So that's kind of an interesting f- turn of phrase, right? Do you, doesn't say, do you accept these to be, this to be completely right in everything that it says, but do you accept that this is what tells us about Jesus and, and that through it God is speaking to us? And so I think, you know, I, I prefer to, to look at this different way when we read the scriptures to say, for the word of God in scripture, for certainly God's word speaks through it. For the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, the sense of the Holy Spirit, the sense that we are in conversation around this book, and that in that we hear the word of God. The word of God is bigger than what's in this book. It's this Christ reality that this book testifies to. That's what we're looking for, not the words that are set in stone. This was um, not the understanding that I grew up with, and um, it was quite a shock to me, as I said, when I went to seminary and I started realizing, oh, there's like people are arguing arguing with each other in the Bible, and and people went back and they started editing out what certain people said or adding in their own little bits here and there, and and how am I going to think about the Bible? And I'll never forget, I I was commuting from Walnut Creek over to Marin to go to seminary with my three-year-old, so uh, she must have been particularly quiet that day, leaving, um, leaving seminary, and I was driving by San Quentin Prison, and um, was beginning to think about how I always had learned to think about the Bible. And it was like you had to put on white gloves when you read the Bible. You had to look at it as a legal document. Everything um, was just, you know, perfect. And, and I had learned in my head to kind of like gloss over the words because it was the word of the Lord. So, you know, you weren't going to argue with what was in the text. Um, but then I started having this thought about Maybe the Bible is more like a street in a developing country. (laughs) 
And I imagined like you're in this hotel that's maybe a four or five star hotel and everything is clean and the water is bottled and it's all so easy to access. And then you walk out on a street in a developing country and it's it's chaotic, right? There's, there's people in the marketplace that are arguing with each other and there's um, people trying to sell you something and there's lots of traffic and there's smog and there's this big crazy thing happening out in the street. Maybe the Bible is a little more like that. And in a strange way, that felt really comforting to me. Because I thought, hey, that's what life is like. That's what my life feels like a lot of days. And what if in that mess and in that craziness, that's actually where God's word starts to show up. That it's actually in that somewhat craziness, chaotic uh, world that we get the revelation of Jesus Christ. That we get to see where, where God shows up. That we get to notice where God is. Well, now, of course, like all of my good ideas, this was not originate, did not originate with me. <laughs> this is how uh, the Jewish tradition has looked at scriptures for many years. Um, it's called Midrash, which means to seek in Hebrew. And it's defined um, as in this way by Will Gaffney. Um, she says, traditional mid Midrash is mystical, imaginative, revelatory, and above all, religious. Midrash interprets not only the text before the reader, but also the text behind and beyond the text, and the text between the lines of the text. In rabbinic thinking, each letter and spaces between the letters are available for interpretive work. Midrash is rarely comprehensive and occasionally contradictory, raising as many questions as it, as it answers. She says, I experience Midrash as God wrestling. So in the traditional Jewish and as it's developed um, interpretation, they have this history and we have it in our Christian tradition as well, but it's gotten a little bit lost in all of our literal thinking and our scientific way of looking at the world. Um, the sense of it, the scripture is here to engage your imagination. And I think Daryl quoted Darlene, who quoted a, a Jewish author to him recently, so it's probably a fourth-hand quote. He said to me the other day, uh, Scripture is not the end of the conversation, but the beginning of the conversation. What's between the lines on the page? A few months ago, I told you the story that Peter Rollins tells about two rabbis who had been arguing over the same text for 20 years, and God came down and said, I'm going to tell you what this verse means. And the rabbi said back to him, who, who are you to tell us what the verse means? <laughs> you have given us the words, now leave us in peace to wrestle with it. <laughs> I love that. I think that's how we should approach the Bible. This book is meant to start a conversation, and it is in the conversation that we are changed. It is in the conversation that we find the sacred word of God. So this morning we're looking at two core stories. You're wondering when I'm going to get around to this. Uh, two core stories of the Bible, of the biblical experience. The first one that David read for us is Moses with God on Mount Sinai. And the second was Jesus on a high mountain meeting Moses and Elijah. 
These are really well-worn stories um, that we're familiar with, many of us. But what I'm interested today in these story is stories is how the revelation of God becomes a revelation of a conversation. Going back to Exodus this week and reading it um, caused me to go back a few pages before this, this story is told and go forward a few pages to try to remember how everything unfolds in this dramatic revelation of the commandments. <clears throat> we have our view of, of how it was revealed in the movie, The Ten Commandments, but um, it it's happens a little differently in the text. Israel is all gathered at Mount Sinai after having left Egypt, and God gives them directly ten, their commandments about how to behave with each other, their social behavior, in which the Ten Commandments is included. And Israel responds, and they promise to obey, we'll do it, and Moses says, great, let's, um, let's have a moment of ritual to enact that and to, to, to uh, make your promise concrete. And so there's a sacrifice, and um, Moses puts blood on the altar, and then um, in you know, one of these lovely Old Testament moments, throws the rest of the blood onto the people. So you're lucky that we're not doing math this morning. Um, <laughs> and they say, okay, we promise we're going to live our lives this way. And then it says Moses and the elders basically had dinner with God. In verse 11, they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. I don't remember seeing. I kind of liked that verse. And then Moses goes up on the mountain, and that's where we picked up today. And as Moses is up on the mountains, as the verses continue, God gives directions for worship, how they are to be together, how, how the priest's robes are to be. Uh, the, it ends with the Sabbath, the commandment for the Sabbath. And while God is giving directions on worship, Israel, the nation of, or the, the people of Israel down below is feeling a little anxious, like they want to get going on this worship thing, and they don't want to wait for Moses to come back down, so they decide to build this golden calf and worship it. And God sees what they're doing, and God talks to Moses, and Moses pleads for God and says, you know, really, it can't be that bad. You should forgive them. And then God does, and then Moses goes down and goes, oh, gosh, it actually is this bad. And he gets really angry, and he gets so angry that he grinds the golden calf to a powder. Who says the Bible is boring, right? He grinds the golden calf to a powder and mixes it with water and makes them drink the golden powder. So Moses and God, through all of this, keep talking. They keep having this conversation back and forth in these 14, 15 chapters as it goes on. And so this moment that we see of Moses on the mountaintop experiencing the glory of God is, is not just about the glory of God being revealed in some sort of perfect way. It's about that happening in the midst of all of this mess blood and water with gold in it and arguments and misplaced worship and it's all in there and what we see is yes God giving the law in stone on the tablets but there's also this constant conversation the law may have been in these these cold hard stones but that stone was also broken in anger as Moses saw what the people of Israel were doing 
And the calf may have been made out of a material of gold, but the gold was ground to powder and actually drunk within them. This is crazy stuff. God, in the words of scripture, is in the middle of all of this drama with Moses and Israel. And then in Matthew 17, Jesus goes up on the mountain, takes Peter, James, and John with him, and there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Jesus' glory in this moment is not some glorious moment. It's not just Jesus on his own. Jesus' glory reveals him in conversation, in conversation with the prophets, in conversation with Moses. When the curtain of glory is pulled back, we see Jesus in a conversation. And Peter, as we saw, wants to make this the point. It's, it's the glory. It's you up here. But, but Jesus says, no, this isn't the point. The mountain is not all there is. And Jesus goes back down the mountain and into his own trial and death. Sometimes I wonder if it's that conversation that happened with Moses and Elijah that sustained him more than the light that he experienced on the mountaintop. And so in these moments of the scripture, which we think are these big revelations of something that's so perfect and untouchable, when we start looking behind them, we see there's all of this conversation there's a lot of messiness. There's a lot of things that feel kind of familiar to our own lives, confusing back and forth messages, not exactly sure what's going on. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that is where God shows up. And in the midst of that is where transformation happens. The Bible is not a document that was forged through power it is a document that was forged through power and politics and evolving understandings of God. Many of us have learned to, to treat it with white gloves and, and glazed eyes or with, on the other hand, anger at the things we don't like about it. But neither of those really accurately approaches this book and its possibilities. It's messy and full of misunderstandings. Yes, it is. And the writers and the readers are in a conversation that have carried us for years. The Bible is here to engage us in a conversation large enough to hold the complexities of our life and our world. A conversation which carry, has carried the Jewish people for millennia. A conversation which revealed Jesus as the face of God. A conversation in which people have found wholehearted community. A conversation that takes us from casual banter to mature engagement. A conversation that has sustained slaves in their journey to freedom and kept hope alive in the darkest places. And we are invited to this conversation. A few, um, about a year ago, our dear friend George um, Comstock passed away. And um, I was honored to preach at his sermon, and, or at his service, and I'd like to just read a little bit about what I uh, spoke on that day about George being in the conversation. Knowing George as you all do, you likely do not envy my job today. To speak an appropriate word of faith for my role today is the religious professional. 
George was not known as a man of confident and assured faith in God and the Bible. Instead, he was known as a person who questioned everything. Am I right? His favorite place here at Valley Presbyterian Church was in the Sunday morning adult education group, which he attended nearly every Sunday. He was known in that group for asking pressing and difficult questions as they discussed faith and religion. And I don't think George would mind me saying he was not confident in the existence of God, but he was confident in his struggle with faith. However, you would be mistaken to think that I wish George had been more compliant or easier to figure out. Instead, I found a fellow companion on the faith journey in George. Both of us grew up in fundamentalist religious systems that deeply hurt us. Both of us believed faith was more about mystery than answers. Both of us had a deep suspicion of the church, even as we maintain a deep affection for it. Both of us were looking for communities and expressions of faith that are fresh and alive. While we landed in different places of practice and profession of faith, both George and I were in the conversation of faith. In fact, I take great joy and comfort from the conversation of George's life. He never left the conversation, even if he was sometimes a frustrating and antagonistic conversation partner. I believe this conversation is held in the grace of a God who isn't threatened by our questions. This conversation is held in the unending compassion of a God who remembers we are dust and knows the struggle of humanity. This conversation is big enough to hold all of our pain and doubt, even as it holds our attempts to pin down a mystery too big to ever be contained. As we conclude this uh, month of talking about the Bible, I just invite you to consider joining the conversation, to remember that you are part of this conversation and that it is in this conversation, in our doubts, in the mystery, in our certainties, in the different ways we hold our faith, it is in this conversation that we are transformed and that God meets us. And so may God continue to meet us in this book and in our lives and in our community together. Amen.